Just suppose God searched through heaven. He couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal life for you and me. Oh, had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. But I'm so glad he drank his bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. so glad he didn't call heaven's angels from my hands pulled the nails that torment me oh had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary had it not been for the old rugged cross had it not been for a man called Jesus then forever my soul would be lost had it not been for a man Thank you so much. You bless me, brother. You do. You, you do. Did you leave that one up here that you were? Okay. All right. All right. I'll tell you. Uh, since then, you don't have to worry about me. Since then, Miss Sammy Siemens has shown me a better route to get out of the medical center and back home, and I have not gotten lost in the wards of Houston since. So, thankful for that. I don't know about anybody else. Or if you're like me, but sometimes I get a hankering for something and it just sticks with me until I do something about it. And sometimes what that hankering is strongest for is some water burgers. I'm sorry, don't tell Matt, okay? But sometimes, I don't know what it is, but something about water burger hamburgers, I get a hankering for them. I, it, it probably because I grew up in a real small town. Uh, Probably about like Woodville or, or even Colmanil. Um, actually, the, where I lived was more like Colmanil, uh, but the town that I went to school in, we had to drive 12 miles to go to school. We didn't have a school in our town. 
anyway, uh, we only had a couple of water, uh, a couple of burger places, and when I was in high school, they built us a water burger, and uh, that's where my friends and I we hung out when we wanted to go eat was a water burger, uh, or um, the Taco Bell they put in the gas station there in, in town. So anyway, but uh, so I guess that's why it is. But anyway, so when I have a hunger for that, it just it won't go away until I feel that craving or I succeed at denying myself of that craving. It's probably been about two years since I had a burger from Whataburger. That hankering's been with me all that time. Every time I drive by, in fact, I took the boys there one day, one day and I had a salad while they sat there and ate a Whataburger. Anyway, thankfully, Lord, the Lord has given me the strength here lately to keep denying that hunger. Here's my point. What do you hunger for? I don't mean food. What is it that you hunger after? Essentially, what the psalmist is talking about in this 17th section of Psalm 119 is hunger. The Word of God has created within him a hunger, which is why the title of this message is that, Hunger. The 17th letter of the Hebrew letter, uh, of the Hebrew alphabet, is what highlights this section, verses 129 through 136 of Psalm 119. And the Hebrew letter is pay or pa. Sometimes it is pronounced fe. Uh, it does act like the P letter in our English alphabet with that P sound, though in certain situations it can have an F sound, just like our P letter when an H is added, right? Phonetics or phone has that same F sound. So just kind of similarities there. The letter itself looks like an upside down and backwards G. I don't know if you can see that up there. And I told you last week that a lot of these letters are representatives of words in the Hebrew language. This one actually is representative of mouth. Uh, and if you look at that letter closely enough, it kind of looks like an open mouth. It also can mean word, speech, or even breath. Uh, I think that idea behind it symbolizing the mouth is what led me to, to see the hunger that this psalmist is talking about. You see this in verse 131 where he says, I opened my mouth, I longed for your commandments. Kind of gives me that picture of Psalm 41. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. That's the same idea. Hunger. Hunger. What do you hunger for? Well, let's read our scripture. Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes, because men do not keep your law. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for how it can change us from the inside out. And I pray that this morning your word presence of your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us where we need to be spoken to. Lord, that you would affect in us a hunger for you. 
a hunger for your word, a hunger for your glory, Lord. Lord, we reach out and we pray and we cry out for you because we recognize it's not my preaching. It's, it's not the setting or the environment we are in, but Lord, it is your word and your presence that can change us from the inside out. God, would you please work in us this morning? It's in your name I pray. Amen. So I want to give you three things that the psalmist is hungering for, three things that I see anyway that the psalmist hungers for. I probably could have spelled this out a little bit more and found about ten things, but we'll, we'll stick with three. The first one is this, he is hungering for God's word. Well, that one makes sense, right? Because all of Psalm 119 is all about God's word. I've told you, uh, each section, he, he kind of wraps his thoughts around God's word and its effect on him. So it would make sense that he is hungering for God's word. Here's what he says in verse 129. God's word, he actually says, your testimonies are wonderful. Remember, he uses words like testimonies, precepts, statutes, laws, uh, word. All of these are uh, synonyms of the Bible, of the God's Word. But he says, your testimonies, God's Word is wonderful. How is it wonderful? Well, in the Bible we see reminders of God's attributes. That's one of the ways His Word is wonderful, isn't it? That we're reminded of His love, we're reminded of His grace, we're reminded of His mercy. His justice and even His righteous wrath are wonderful reminders of who God is, of how He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That was our warrior word memory verse this last week, Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. I think I messed that one up. But these reminders are wonderful because there are days that these attributes and how God's remind, words remind us of His attributes, that they are a real comfort to us. Some days I need to be reminded of how much He loves me. Anybody feeling that out there? I don't know about you, but I, I really need, in fact, I say some days. How about every day, right? Every day. It is wonderful in the fact that God's Word is free from error. We use a word that means inerrant. And what that means is that in the original manuscripts, God's Word is without error, is without uh, uh, mistakes, is without contradiction. It is both authoritative and sufficient for our lives. And even historically, God's Word has been proven to be more accurate than most history books. Uh, I don't mean that it is comparable. I mean some history books are way off. They have been skewed by human error. God's Word has not. It is historically accurate. It has been around for thousands and thousands of years. In its current form, it has been around for about 500 years. And while it has been translated from one language to another, while it has been attempted to be discredited, it is not. And in fact, the Bible proves itself over and over and over again. It's also wonderful in its effect on us. Nothing changes us, nothing moves us, nothing convicts us quite like the Holy Spirit using God's Word. God's Word is powerful. We, we use a verse like this, that God's Word is powerful and it is able to divide flesh and bone. It is able to divide in our hearts. Here's what the psalmist says about God's Word, though, and why it is wonderful. He says, it gives light. 
in verse 130, it gives light. The entrance of your word gives light, meaning that just the mere mention of God's word brings light to the darkness. In the presence of God's word, sin and darkness cannot remain. It is a powerful beam of light. I remember hearing a story about a POW that was trapped over in, uh, during the Vietnam War. And he said what gave him hope was the bit of scripture he had been able to memorize as a child. It brought him light in a very dark, dark place. The psalmist also says there in verse 130 that it gives understanding to the simple, meaning that it teaches us. Though I was simple and unable to even understand that lost nature of my soul, God's word brought me understanding. If it were not for God's word, I would not understand my need for Jesus Christ. I would not understand my need for forgiveness. I would not understand God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. His atoning death, His resurrection as well. All of these things teach us about God and about His salvation for our lostness. And it is no accident that Jesus, being described by the prophet Isaiah, uses this word in the Hebrew, wonderful. Wonderful counselor. Sometimes we put those together and say wonderful counselor, but there's actually a comma there. It is two separate words. He is wonderful, comma, counselor, mighty God. No accident, I believe, that that same word in John's gospel is called, he is called the word of God. The psalmist is inspired by God's word not only to keep them, but they have created within him a hunger in his soul. And that's why he says in verse 131, I panted and I longed for your commandments. I panted and longed for your commandments. Like a wild beast thirsting for some fresh meat or for some fresh water. Like a wild beast instinctively going after what it needs. The psalmist is saying, I panted and I longed, not for meat, not for water, but for God's word. Does our heart pant and long, hunger for God's word? Our hunger for God's word also leads us to want this second thing that the psalmist says, and I'm simply summing it up like this, God's favor. Do you hunger for God's favor on your life? Looking at verses 132 through 135, I sum these requests up as saying God's favor. That's kind of a catch-all phrase for me, uh, and it's kind of a big deal to me. That's something I pray over myself and my family on a regular basis. God, I want your favor on my life. When people tell me something good about my family or something good about me, I generally direct them to God and say, well, that's just God's favor on our life. It has nothing to do with us. That's God's hand. That's God's favor. Uh, and, and that is, again, a kind of a catch-all phrase. And what the psalmist does really is he spells this out. There's a couple things he says. He says in verse 132, he says, He wants God to look upon me. Look upon me. We talked about this last week. He asked for God to see him. He asked for God to notice him. And it's not that he 
thinks that God doesn't see him or notice him. Just like here, he's not saying, look at me in the sense that you don't know that I exist. But I kind of think of it, do you remember when your children were small and they would go, daddy, 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 or mama, 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 right? Like a chicken going through the yard. That's kind of the idea that I get from this is the psalmist says, God, look at me. God, look at me. He goes on and says that your custom, your custom is to be merciful towards those who love your name. Look at me. God, I love your name. Be merciful to me. Look on me. When Jesus walked this earth and taught, he spoke a few times about the persistent prayers of people. It was kind of a squeaky will gets the grease, though I don't mean to treat something quite so tritely as that. God sees us. He sees us. He does. He sees us every day. But those who hunger for his favor will persistently pursue, God, look upon me. Side note, it's awfully hard to ask God to look upon you if there are things in your life you don't want him to see. Come on, right? Asking the Lord to see us can be an awesome accountability action. Look upon me. Whoa, God, let me clean that up first, right? Or maybe we say, look upon me and help me clean that up. I need that out of my life. It is, it is. Next, he says, God, direct my steps. It's not just a request for God to help him make good decisions, which is a common request, by the way. God, help me make good decisions. And that's a good thing to request. But he says, Lord, help me direct my path, direct my steps by a word. Why? So no iniquity will have dominion over me. He wants direction from the Lord. You know, something I try to avoid is making decisions and then asking God to bless those decisions. It's kind of backwards. As my dad would say, son, you got the cart before the horse. Instead, we need to be like the psalmist saying, God, direct my steps. Direct my decisions. Choose for me. Show me how to choose before I do choose. Yet, the common practice among God's people is instead we rush into something and make our decision. We use choices. We use logic. And those are good things, but instead of bathing them in prayer and seeking the Lord's guidance in every step of every day, we make that decision, and then we say, okay, God, bless it. I'm reminded of our VBS theme from a couple of years ago from Isaiah 30, 21. Wherever you turn, to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, walk in this way, or this is the way, walk in it. And notice what the psalmist specifically asks for direction in his steps with. Again, net, let no iniquity, let no sin have dominion over me. Let no sin creep in. Let no sin have power over me. Paul said it like this, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. A hunger for God is a hunger to be free from the sins of our life, to be entangled by sinfulness. And we must have God's wisdom and direction in our every step to steer clear of sin, because it is always knocking on the door of our heart saying, let me in, I've got some good stuff for you. 
But instead, we must submit ourselves to God and say, God, direct my steps so I don't get into that entanglement, so I don't walk into that trap. We need God's decision in choosing the right path, and even, so, even more so, the righteous path. God wants us to steer clear of sin. The question is, do we want to steer clear of sin? It's awfully hard to ask God to direct our steps when we're wanting to direct our steps towards the wrong path. Next, he says he wants God to redeem. Redeem me or deliver me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Again, this is a request to keep him from sinning. We might understand this request if it was termed spiritual oppression. Lord, deliver me from spiritual oppression that I would not be given into uh, sinfulness or, or uh, uh, breaking your commandments or the oppression of sinful temptation. But how does the oppression of man keep us from God's precepts? How does that work exactly? Well, generally, oppression is pressure. It presses us to do that which we do not want to do. Have you ever been pressured into bad choices? I know I have. Generally, we think peer pressure is a teenage problem. It's not. Peer pressure is a humanity problem. The pressure to make bad choices is a humanity problem. The Bible illustrates this in a couple of areas. Let me give you one in particular. In the book of Galatians, Paul is doing spiritual battle with a group of guys called the Judaizers. And these Judaizers believe that you are saved by grace through faith and circumcision. And so they are pressuring everyone to go be circumcised to complete your salvation. And in the midst of this, Paul has to get on to the Apostle Peter. Love our Peter. He does some great things, but then he does some not so great things. And what Peter has done is he has shunned all the Gentiles, all the non-circumcised, under the pressure, the oppression of the Judaizers. He didn't want to look bad, essentially, by hanging out with those dogs. That's what they would call the Gentiles. His oppression had led him to disobey God's law. The psalmist's request, deliverance, is so that he might not sin. Unfortunately, the common philosophy of Christianity is often one of willpower and self-determination. Now, I'm an attitude guy. I believe attitude is important. But our attitude towards sin and temptation should not be one of willpower, but of dependency on God. Consider the model prayer given to us by Jesus Christ himself when he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And again, just in the Psalm 119, we see this idea uh, repeated over and over. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may keep your word. Verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Verse 88, revive me that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. And here we are, verse 133. Direct my steps. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. We must see our great need to call out for God's deliverance from temptation in light of oppression, but also in light of life. We must have a hunger for God to direct our steps to keep us away from iniquity, 
to deliver us from the oppression of men so that we are not given over to breaking God's law. Peer pressure is a very real thing for us adults. Have you ever sped down the highway so you weren't late for work? That's the oppression of man causing you to sin because speeding is a sin. Have you ever lied on a report so you didn't get fired from a job? That's oppression of man that causes you to sin. We could go on and on with application, but the need is have a hunger for God to deliver you from that and not try to find your own deliverance. Finally, he wants God's favor in this way. Make your face shine upon your servant. This is a really kind of a famous scripture. This is not the first time this is ever repented. You see this said in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. And what was the Lord's blessing that Moses was to speak unto Aaron and his sons who were the first priests of Israel? It goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's a blessing repeated again in Psalm chapter 4. Make your face shine upon your servant. Not just for favor or blessing in the sense of giving us success by human standards, but instead, God, make your face, give me your light, give me success by your standards. I hunger more than anything else for God's will for my life, for God's direction for my life, for God to shine and to bless me as He sees fit, not as I see fit. And that gets a little confusing sometimes because we try to define blessing this way and God instead says, let me bless you. Let me define that for you. Let me show you what that can look like. I had a friend in college, I think I've told you all this before, she would say, sometimes God wants to give us a Mercedes and we're just settling for the Pinto we can get on our own. God, I hunger for your face to shine upon me. I hunger for you to give me your favor. Finally, there should be a hunger for God's glory. Hunger for His word, hunger for His favor, hunger for His glory. Looking at verse 136, he says, Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. You get the idea there, right? It's a very poetic way of saying he's crying. He's crying, a, he's crying a lot. Why should the sin of others cause the psalmist to cry? Why should the sin of others cause him to lament? Is it just because he hates sin so much? Perhaps. Is it because he knows the danger of sin and the power of sin over people's lives? Perhaps. But consider what Paul says in Romans 3.23. Very famous verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that phrase, glory of God, we usually sum up very quickly as simply saying the perfection of God, which is a fine summation. But in longer explanation, the glory of God is a reference to that which we were created in. Do you know whose image you were created in? God. God's image. We were all created in God's image. And that image is perfect. And that image or glory was tarnished in the Garden of Eden, and it is tarnished every time we sin. We were created in perfection, by perfection, for perfection. 
And every sin committed steals not only, only the glory that we were created in, but the glory of the one who created us. That is, for God's glory. We were created for God's glory. And every sin committed falls short of that glory. And the person who loves God wants more than anything for God to receive glory. Somewhat of my life verse, I guess you would say, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. The psalmist weeps not only because he hates sin, not only because he hates that lives are destroyed by sin, but because they see the glory of God being smeared by the sin of man. The psalmist hungers for God to receive all glory. Do you hunger for God's glory? The psalmist cries over sin. and He doesn't judge them. He doesn't lash out at them. He only prays, perhaps, and laments over the sin of others. Consider the prayer of the Pharisees that would call out and say, Thank you, Lord, that I am not like those sinners. Consider the words of the prideful that would say, Those sinners need to get what they deserve. And instead, I believe the psalmist catches the heart of one who hungers for God's glory as he mourns because of the sin of others. You know, not much has changed in the thousands of years since Psalm 119 was written. Sin still plagues humanity. But are God's people weeping over the glory of God being smeared, being tarnished, being maligned by our sin or by the sin of others? Do we have a hunger for the glory of God that causes us to mourn over it? Famous author, scholar on the Bible said, uh, R.W. Dell said, it is partly because sin does not provoke our own wrath that we do not believe sin provokes the wrath of God. What would you think of a doctor who upon discovering that you had cancer gave you a hug and said, Take two aspirin and you'll be just fine. How about a fireman who responded to a report of a house on fire by saying, it will burn itself out soon. How about a policeman who arrived at the scene of a robbery, shook his head and said, boys will be boys. In each case, the response is inappropriate to the situation. A Christian's response to sin should be first and foremost one of mourning over God's glory being smeared. C.S. Lewis observed, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still within him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. Now, you may be wondering, why does this matter? Why is our hunger an important topic for us to consider? Because what we hunger for says a lot about who we are and whose we are. I've said before, Sin begets sin, righteousness begets righteousness. The more we sin, the more we will hunger after sin. The more we choose the righteousness of God, the more we will hunger for the righteousness of God. Have you ever noticed that your hunger for something increases the more you have it? You see, I know if I went to Whataburger and had that burger that I've been hankering for two years, it would not satisfy me. In fact, the next day I'd probably say, boy, I sure could go for another Whataburger cheeseburger again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever felt that before? That your hunger is never truly satisfied when you uh, or try to satisfy it on your own. God's people should not struggle with 
hungering or craving for sin. But the fact is, we do. And this has always been the case. From the first bite of that forbidden fruit in Eden by Eve and Adam, man has been hungering for the things that they should not be hungering for. We continue to do it thousands of years later. And the tendency is to think and apply this idea to only those sins of a heinous nature. Sexual misconduct, murder, drunkenness, and sins of this nature. But in God's economy, all sins are gross and heinous. And yet we hunger for them. We long to divulge, not only in those gross sins that we just talked about, but we long to divulge in gossip, tearing down others, lying, coveting those things that do not belong to us, but to our neighbor. This is the reason the psalmist expresses his need for help regarding sin. And it's an idea seen in other places of Scripture. Consider this verse from the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but instead the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. What is the solution? What is the solution to the fact that we keep on hungering after those things we should not hunger for? Paul continues, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is our deliverer. The bad news is that we will always hunger for sinful things. The good news is, is the more we submit ourselves to Jesus, the less we will give in to that hunger, and the more He will replace those heinous hungerings with holy hungerings. The more you cry out like the psalmist, the more you will grow, grow dependent on God every minute of every day. And that is a good thing. It is a good thing to grow more and more dependent on God. You know, our relationship with God is completely opposite of parenting. Think about that for a second. As parents, one of our goals is to grow our children up so that they are independent and able to live on their own. We don't want a 44-year-old child, right, living with us. We're doing their laundry, still setting a curfew for them, getting on to them about cleaning their room. We want them to grow up, don't we? We want them to move out. We want them to have a family of their own, to live independently. But our relationship with God is nothing like that. The deeper it grows, the more dependent we should be on God. The deeper it grows, the more dependent we need to be on God. What do you hunger for? What is it that you have a hankering for this morning? Do you hunger for God's word, for his favor, for his glory? Or have I got you thinking about Whataburger too much? I'm sorry about that. You see, sometimes we don't hunger for the things of God like we should because it's gone too long between tastes. You see, the more you have something, the more you have a hankering for it. And it's just been too long since we divulged into the Word of God. It's been too long since we ate and ate and saw that the Lord was good. We've allowed the distractions of this world to drag us away from our relationship with God. And what we need to do is repent. What we need to do, what you may need to do this morning is repent. And that means you turn your back on those distractions, on those things that you have been trying to satisfy 
your spiritual hunger on and turn yourself anew to the Lord Jesus Christ. Renew in yourself a hunger for God, for His Word, for His favor, for His glory. But for some, there is no hunger for God because you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so it's very natural for you to not care anything about God's Word, about God's favor, about God's glory. And to you, I want to invite you this morning to come and see and meet the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. We're going to have a time of invitation. We invite you to come forward while the musicians are playing or at any time. And if I have an answer to the question, or if you have a question that I can answer, <laughs> we invite you to come down here and, and let's talk. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to, to meet with you and talk to you about having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. However, the Holy Spirit may be prodding your heart this morning. I pray that you would respond. You know, the church needs to wet this altar with tears, not only over their own sin, but over the sin of mankind. Having a broken heart, seeing not just that men are lost, not just that they are destroying their lives with sin, but that's less people giving glory to God. That's less people knowing God as their Lord and their Savior. Let's have a time of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for these listeners. And Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would have uh, its way, your way, with us, each and every one of us. Father, I pray for a response and obedience to you. And it is in your name I pray this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen.